This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted Pride of West London podcast. And uh, well, I suppose you can't be coming from anywhere else but the virtual joint at the moment now because we're, we're not now. We're not allowed down the pub at the moment now. We're not allowed out. We have to stay ourselves in home. So we are remaining in the virtual joint in quarantine times, as they say. And we thought, you know, it's been a bit quiet for a few weeks before we'll get together. Let's just have a little bit of a chinwag and just talk about what's been going on over the past few weeks in each other's lives and in the world of football and the world of Brentford and whatever else is going on. I'm Billy Grant and like I said, I'm sitting here in my virtual joint. I've got the garden just behind me, the neighbours, kids, you could probably hear them in the background as well. And I'm sitting here with my chums. Delaney, how are you? Yeah, I'm very good, Billy. As you said, it's uh, it's been a few weeks since we decided to record anything. I know I've put out a couple of little mini history pods um, which were from stuff I had in the bag already, but it's uh, it's been a little bit kind of weird um, knowing when's when's the right time to start talking about football and Brentford and stuff again. And, and well done to uh, to uh, the Grapevine yesterday for their interview with Phil Giles. That kind of that kind of got things going again. I think I think uh, that was a really good interview. Um, so well done them. And uh, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's about time we, uh, we 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 fired up the besotted motorbike again. Indeed, we, we, we say we don't, you know, and we do this quite a lot where we actually get together, particularly in the virtual joint, so we've got no idea what we're going to talk about, and we, we literally have not got a script, well we don't do scripts anyway, but we haven't got anything necessarily going to talk about, we just thought this is going to be a bit of a shooting of the breeze, and uh, definitely with the Allard in the house there's some breeze shooting, is there not? Yeah, there is, there's lots of stuff to talk about, um, I think, I think, you know, the, the the last three weeks, maybe football's been the last thing on a lot of our minds. But, um, but as you sort of adjust to what is a new reality at the moment, um, you know, I think I do agree with Dave is that the Phil Giles um, interview yesterday sort of made me start thinking about stuff again. Um, so, yeah, a, a bit of escapism as well in some respects, just to just to catch up with everybody and, um, and talk about football. And I mean, again... The, the, the rumour is that you do spend a lot of time in your bed, the Allard, I've heard, especially when you're in some sort of vir- virtual conversation mode. And I've noticed you're, you're bedridden again. No, no, not really. No, no, this is the, this is, we've, we've sort of, we, yesterday um, for the, for the Phil Giles thing, I was sitting on my bed, which I think is perfectly acceptable, isn't it? Is it not? No, and, um, and then today, but today we decided that we would turn the spare room into sort of a, a zoom sort of, and I'm sure lots of people are doing this sort of thing, but the, the, the bed's now up against the wall and um, and we're turning it into a sort of Zoom and sort of exercise room. Oh, okay, all right, okay. And when was the last time you <laughs> shot you shot the breeze as well, the alerts? Shot the breeze. We should move on. We should move on. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing wrong with you laying on your bed. It was just the fact you didn't have any clothes on. <laughs> 
and in the um, house as well and, and in the mansion should i say the lord of the manor we've got liberal nick you know and uh, for you me social distancing is nothing new because to be quite <laughs> the nearest house to yours is about sort of four miles away isn't it well that th- there is a bit of truth in that because at the moment there is uh, where i live village on the outskirts on the uh, outskirts of or on the edge of dartmoor the, the road leading up to it, we've got a big sign at the bottom of the road which says no recreational visits, please. No liberals. Um, because <laughs> during, the, uh, during the course of the summer, we, are, we do get lots of people, quite rightly, coming up here to enjoy walking on the moor and uh, enjoy <clears throat> taking a bit of air and a bit of sun. But at the moment, uh, asking people politely to stay away, please, and stay at home. So hopefully this podcast can give people a little bit of entertainment while that's going on. Nick, Nick, can I just say, um, I, I don't know if it's the way you've positioned yourself, but it looks like there's a halo over your head. Uh, the, um, obviously, this isn't any good for people just listening, but, but is, is that a natural phenomenon? Actually, what it is, it's my, I think it's a reflection of my wall chart uh, I've got of the summer cricket fixtures 2020. It's, a, it's a reflection of all the bars of gold that will become a, uh, uh, an, uh, an item of historical interest, no more. I, I actually don't think you can see what, what, what the halo is, but it's very, very clear to me and I'm, I'm, I assume to other people watching. I'm glad you recognised it at last, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sammy B is in the house as well. And uh, I mean, it's a, probably a good question but I think that we didn't actually press the button a little bit earlier because there was a bit of a rare... Sight or a rare sound, Savvy B, as you were sitting there and a, an aeroplane came over, which is it's, it's pretty rare, isn't it? it, it it's very rare and it's, um, you kind of miss them when they're not happening. So uh, just to get one every sort of couple of hours is uh, it's quite nice. But we do have other sounds that, um, that sort of also take over. Uh, one of my neighbours is going through a midlife crisis at the moment and has just got, bought his massive uh, motorbike hog thing that makes an absolute racket. So if he fires that up later, that'll, that'll come through loud and clear. Oh, OK. Well, we, we look forward to that. But anyway, listen, as we said, we're going to sit down and we're going to just talk and shoot the breeze. Um, we're well, three weeks in, I think it is now, on this uh, lockdown, or say lockdown, football lockdown. And uh, casting our mind back to, I think it was Friday, the, was it the 11th, Friday the 13th, you know, unlucky for some. And there we were getting ready, getting excited. We had a big game on a Friday night. It was live on Sky, live on TV. Um, a lot of people are taking time off work, if I remember rightly. People are getting to the pub, to the pub early. And I'm just wondering, just, just cast your mind back to that Friday. Um, how far were you in Fulham mode on that Friday? And what were your thoughts when the game was called off? Laney? Um, well, we kind of predicted it may happen, and we we said that we we did change our plans. We didn't actually go to Putney. We we went to a lovely little beer beer shop in uh, in East Twickenham by Richmond Bridge, and uh, we plotted up there. Um, and we we kind of started to talk about what what could happen, but you know, little did we know that you know um, the whole of society was about to shut down. We just thought it was going to be football for a little bit. Um, so I'm really glad that we did that. Um, uh, yeah, it was it was just so, so sad that we couldn't have got that one game out of the way. I think you know the the actual the actual sort of proper lockdown didn't come until the Monday that followed that, and there was a you know there was a lot of talk at the time um, that we could have played the game on the on the Friday night. But I mean, you you look at the way the, the hospitals are full and how many people are you know currently dying every day, and it, and it shows you that. 
um, it was the right decision, the social distancing was, was the right thing to happen. Um, for us to go to a football game, although it was, you know, it was really sad and we were all disappointed, it was, it was obviously the right thing to do. And, and I mean, more importantly than, than the Fulham game really is the, you know, the, the, the worry. And we talked about this notionally in the, in the week or the two weeks before, before that. We kind of said even on the morning of the, uh, you know, the the five the five nil game um, that we, we we could be going to our our last game at Griffin Park, the Sheffield Wednesday match, and uh, you know we were kind of not flippant about it. We obviously knew that it was a reality; it could be a reality. Otherwise, we you know we wouldn't be we wouldn't be mentioning it. But you know that's that's something that again is is, is something that could be desperately sad if we if we have got a bow out. You know, a five-nil win is probably a good way to do it. But um, yeah, the, this this insecurity and the uncertainty that, that surrounds everything to do with football, um, it makes it it's even it's even more bitter because you know Griffin Park is is kind of like in the mix for us. So yeah, we we, we sat and we chewed we chewed the, chewed the fat and we drank some industrial strength beers for for for, for quite a while. But. Uh, yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot to take on board at the moment for, for football fans and Brentford fans and obviously for us as a, as a society. Yeah, 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 much of what Laney says, I mean, it, it, I, it, it, my recollection is going back and it, it seems like it was some time ago, you know, now that it was a long, long time ago, but, but the game was on, the game was off, the game was on, the game was off uh, and maybe that didn't happen, but that's how it felt to me that... You know, I, I think I'd written the game off, to be honest, by by the Thursday. And I was quite surprised it was still appearing to be on. Um, and then there was um, uh, our Mikel Arteta, I think, was... Yeah. Was he tested positive? And then, yeah. and from that point on, I just thought there's no way we're going to be going to football tonight. So, I was... I, in a way, I was strangely relieved by by the decision that the game was off because... And it, and it was called off rather than, you know, we just sort of just just carried on. I mean, it, what was very clear at the time was that there was no, well, there was direction from the government and the government was carry on as, as you are. Um, and this was a purely, this was a, a decision made purely by footballing bodies, um, which, to be honest, you know, they led the way really with this over the first um, few days. It wasn't until the Monday that the government made any sort of, um, you know, of, started talking about what you know what, what they believe should happen and and indeed at the time only what they thought people should do they thought pubs should close rather than pubs should close yeah yeah it was a again it was a it, it was a bit of a seesawing yo-yoing scenario savvy b i mean were you on your way had you plotted yourself up to be in the pub or, or were you just you know brace yourself that it wasn't going to be happening no, I did uh, did plus it all up, and uh, I was with these guys in uh, in East Twickenham, and that's been my last uh, day out. And um, it's been it's been lockdown since then, apart from the odd sort of trip to the supermarket. That's it. But I was kind of hoping and hoping it would go ahead, and I had a you know I kind of knew football was going to stop. There was all the stuff with Arteta and stuff. But I thought we might have just slip that one under the wire because it was a Friday, not the the big load of matches on the Saturday. But um, I think it kind of made sense because it means that everyone's still on the same amount of games. So it would have been uh, a bit awkward if we'd uh, played one more game and all the other teams on the same amount. And one. So, sorry? And one. Uh, of course we would have won. Yeah, that was, that's, uh, that was written in the books. Yeah. yeah. So, um, 
yeah so yeah again, again as i say it was a last day out and it was good to meet up with all the guys and um and although the football never happened the the stuff around football happens and I'm appreciative of that yeah and frustrate I mean and similarly with you frustration you know I mean as you probably know we did a podcast a couple of days before where we invited Abdul the Fulham fan on and we had sort of quite a good laugh we were in the distillers which was just down the road from Fulham we propped it right up I mean I didn't actually say on the podcast but I actually had, I'd actually done the back in and that was a real struggle actually to even get down there and uh, done a, I, could hardly, I could hardly walk so my head was actually thinking, you know, how am I actually going to get to Fulham in two days' time, especially by public transport, where I literally couldn't walk two steps. Um, but, you know, I'd taken enough Nurofen pluses the next couple of days and, you know, just about managed to get my mobility happening, plotted it up with my daughter, getting her off school early, getting her down there. All the plans were in place. Um, and also I was chatting to Sky quite a lot because um, I was doing some stuff with Sky down there on the day. And it's quite funny because, interestingly, talking to Caroline Barker and she's calling me up going, right, Billy, uh... Things might have to change. Uh, it may have to be three o'clock in the park. Can you do three o'clock in the park? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I can do three o'clock in the park. Goes, oh no, it's changed back again. Seven o'clock at Craven Cottage. Oh no, no. oh no, back, back to three o'clock in the park again. Oh, okay, three o'clock in the park. Oh no, back to Craven Cottage. So Sky and everybody like that, even during the days, so, or you know, 11, 12, 1 o'clock, they were still toing and throwing and not knowing exactly what was going to happen. Uh, and in the end, the game got called off. As we know, as Laney has said and everyone else has said, it, has, it obviously has been the right thing. But I think there's a sort of secret gutting in there that, you know, it was the Friday night, um, um, the, 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 the weekend before it was the Fulham game. And, you know, if we manage to slip one more game in, because if you know, if you're going to go off, we did go off with a big bang against uh, our Sheffield Wednesday. But, you know, the Fulham is, those, those, <laughs> Fulham is the one. So even if we had to swap the two and play the Fulham the week before, it's kind of one of those ones where I think it's more of a feeling of having missing out on Fulham, Craven Cottage. And also, because I had the kids with me, I couldn't um, make it down to the pub as well with you guys. So I just, uh, I, had, I had been locking at home with a, with a bottle of wine instead of not even any Friday night football. So uh, I think there's a sort of secret panging feeling that gutted at missing out on Fulham and the way things are going we probably won't get our our Craven Cottage fix this season but we'll talk about that a little bit later but um listen just Bill yeah yeah Bill but but the one point I think uh, Savvy B made the the correct point I think a when the when the football does restart at least everybody's on the same number of competitive games and and b think about it our first game back could be should be will be I hope the Fulham fixture. Now, whether or not that's in front of a crowd, we can have a separate conversation about. But Brentford will be, first game back will be against Fulham. Couldn't be a better game to welcome back the football when it comes. Yeah, I mean, I think you've got a point there, Liberal, as well. But listen, we're going to we're gonna get on and talk about a bit of Brentford stuff because there is a bit of Brentford news going on. But before we do that, because like I said to you, we've been in coronavirus lockdown zone. And people have been majorly creative about what they've been doing over the past few weeks to, to keep themselves busy and keep themselves sane. I'm just sort of just go around there and just find out if you've been doing anything interesting. Have you been keeping yourself busy? Have you know have you been out the streets? You know, have people been taking photographs of you? Have you walked down to the shops, Avon, and you know, and, and sold it to the press or anything like that? I mean, what's been going on in your worlds, Laney? Um. I've- Fortunately for me, um, I've got a lot of book projects on the go, so I can uh, I can use this time to kind of sit down and uh, and kind of just crack on with, with, with those. So um, there's you know of course you know I've, I've personally you know there's a, there's a lot of uh, in, you know insecurity and uncertainty. Um, so the, you know it's, it, I think it's all affected everyone. There's no, there's no one that's kind of like uh, 
hasn't had hasn't had their life massively changed. Um, also, I've um, I've done a couple of uh, food bank um, initiatives. So uh, we did that through Bisotti, um last weekend. Um, we raised two hundred two hundred and sixty quid, I think, all in all for the Brentford and Hounslow Food Bank. Um, selling some some copies of Colt Bees and Legends books and people making a donation. So um, I felt like you know I've done some good there. And this weekend um, I've done the same with the um, Arsenal Football Club Foundation. So we've, we've raised sort of like three hundred for the for their food bank. So yeah, I've been I've been I've been cracking on with with what I can do. Um, and it's kind of like part of me is obviously watching the news every night and seeing how you know people are suffering all the way around the country and just thinking um i'll, I'll do what i can in, in a very small way there's nothing i can do that's going to make a colossal amount of difference i did volunteer for the nhs um i've not heard anything back as yet so we'll, we'll see what happens there so yeah pretty i've been trying to keep things as as, as normal as i can um but you know um, trying to do a couple of things to uh make a little bit of a difference elsewhere as well Good lady, very good. And the Allards? Yeah, I mean, uh, trying to keep a small business afloat, obviously. Um, so that's taken up some of my time. Um, I've, I've, you know, in, in, in the spare time, and there's a lot more spare time, um, I've sort of got, got into a few things. Um, there's, I've actually started watching the Sunderland Till I Die series. I missed the first series. Um, one of the things we did do is we signed up for Netflix quite quickly. Um, and, um, and, that, and that obviously opened up a few things that I hadn't seen before. So Sunderland Till I Die, watched, been, watched the first couple of episodes of that and enjoying it so far. I think the editing's a bit weird. I'm not sure about the editing, and maybe I should ask Sav on this, but you know, there's, they played a pre-season, this is what I noticed last night, maybe I'm looking for the wrong things, but they played a pre-season friendly against Celtic, and then they're supposedly interviewing the goalkeeper in the car the following day, um, who's taking his kids to school. Bear in mind, this is the last week of July. That seems somewhat unlikely. And he's wearing a Canada Goose jacket, which seems incredibly unlikely unless he's trying to lose weight for a boxing bout or something. So, um, but apart from Matt, that, you're enjoying have, it a lot. Matt, Matt, if you live in Sunderland, you wear a Goose jacket all year round, I tell you. I did think about that, um, but the taking the kids to school in their school uniform seems to suggest there was some creative editing going on there. So, you know, just being a little bit picky. Um, and maybe you notice these things a bit more when you have more time on your hand. Um, I'm also going to get into this Tim Burgess from the Charlottes. He's doing like a Twitter listening party where um, everybody plays a classic album and then he invites somebody from involved with the band um, and, they can, and, and they talk around that. So that sounds... Um, really good um and we did try an online pub quiz as well which is a bit weird oh. it didn't didn't work was that was that on a house party well <laughs> it was a bit odd to be honest yes yeah, so just so you're not going to be doing that again are you bill are you no, well, maybe not. I mean, it, it, it just didn't quite have the same vibe as, um, as, as you know, having it. I mean, we, we had a couple of beers and a, a G&T and stuff like that while we were, while we were doing it. But, um, yeah, it, it's, um, that, that was one of the things that maybe didn't work quite as well. Yeah, so, so and for me, I've been, I mean, I've, I've been quite busy as well. It was uh, just like with laney bits and pieces, which I didn't think I would be as well. I mean, I do, as you know, I do some bits and pieces for, well, quite a bits, uh, bits and pieces for Sky as well and obviously there's no football at the moment now so I, I thought the phone wouldn't be ringing but actually they've got to actually pull together content out of with no football happening so you've actually got to be super creative so uh um working it's working actually at the moment on a on a championship team of the season 
interesting with uh, fans of up and down the country as well, which should be quite interesting to see how that comes together. So that's been sort of keeping me fairly busy as other things as well. Um, putting me back out a few weeks ago, I've not done any of the, I've been quite on the feet, keep fit. I haven't done keep it for years and I thought I'd get into that. But I put me back out and hadn't done anything for three weeks, but I actually managed to get out um, a few days ago. Again, it's not one of these, you know, I did it in a, in a very very uh, uh, professional as, it's, as, as way as well uh, social distancing and everything like that got out on my bike a few times as well and just did a few runs through um, through the back streets and out and about because I found actually when you went to the parks quite a few of the parks is that they're actually quite busy with people and you actually spent most of your time actually trying to actively avoid people by going off the paths and left and right and stuff so I actually thought I'd get out on my bike and that's actually been quite good and good for the head so I've been doing that you know every few days just to, to get out and about but you know, in, in 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 the right type of way, but and uh, on TV front, um, so deliberate about this. But again, you know, with uh, with Netflix, I, I've done the Ozark thing. Knew nothing about it before. Got involved in Ozark. That's actually quite good. You know, if you like Breaking Bad, so that's actually quite a good. Definitely something for people to sit down and binge watch. Is the Ozark? I was going to watch the English game, but Liberal Nick put us off a bit about that one. You weren't happy with that Liberal, were you? I watched the first. 25 minutes of it and it was basically Downton Abbey um, <laughs> stroke um, thought that'd be right up your street <laughs> no 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 no, no. <laughs> too close to home that you know I don't want don't want my home life interfering with my, my social life um, so no I yeah it, it was just it was just it was badly put together just didn't make sense it was a bit like Matt was talking about in the editing for the first series of um uh, the, the Sutherland documentary it just it just jumped all around the place the football I mean you can never ever replicate football uh, games properly on screen can you I mean be one drama or, or even sort of documentary where people have to pretend to be playing games where football is actually being played as it should be so no I haven't, I'm, I'm, I don't recommend the English game at all I do recommend Ozark like you Bill been absolutely binge watching that and um, been uh, been been watching the second part of the Sun, the second series of the Sun Until I Die documentary, which I reckon is one of the best of its genre uh, around, and uh, I've been greatly amused by some of the um, posh blokes um, getting involved in Sunderland Football Club. Those of you who, with long memories, will know that Sunderland actually is my uh, second team, partly because my grandfather was a long-term season ticket holder at Roker Park. Um, indeed, he was a vicar up in the northeast, and the story I always tell is that when Sunderland won the cup in, I think it was 1953, but don't 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 correct me if I'm wrong on the actual date. He it was the only time he'd ever missed a church service because he was celebrating so hard that evening in London that he missed the last train back uh, to Sunderland, and so uh, missed the uh, first church service of the morning, and uh, only turned up in time for evening song. All right, and talk, okay, slap risk for us, definitely there. But um, talk, and talk about short service, actually. There was another program that I watched. And it, I have you ever get these times when you, you sit down in front of the TV, as well as your other half sometimes, and you sit down and you make a decision to watch things together? But other times, you sit down and you're thinking, oh, let's just watch something. You've got no idea what it's about. And then your other half goes, there's no way I'm watching that. It looks absolutely rubbish. So you end up kind of watching it by yourself, kind of binge watching it either in another room or in a tablet or your computer or something like that. Uh, and there's a, a church series called The Righteous Gemstones, which is on Sky, which is basically because my family live in America as well. And, and my mum, 
for for many years used to go to uh, to to these evangelical churches where you turn up with the, the preacher on the church on the on the chair and the big choir and people throwing sort of hundreds of thousands of dollars into into a big pot. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you, you'd be in the church for like two or three, four hours at a time. I mean, it's absolutely mad, you know. But my mum used to love it, and so you know, I used to go along with her to these churches. But this series is about basically about a set of preachers in some sort of mid town somewhere in America who are just basically really dodgy and all the dodgy things that they do so uh, and I'll just end up binge watching the first series and <laughs> maybe if you've got nothing else to do maybe worth checking it out the, the the righteous gemstones but anyway listen listen we'll move on because uh, apparently uh, the line's gone funny because we're right in the middle of uh, the coronavirus zone and everyone's online at the moment now so things are cutting out left right and center so we're going to move on we're going to cut this one and move on and we actually might talk about a little bit of football because in the last few days there was a bit of Brentford chat going on with the Griffin Park Grapevine holding a Zoom conference with fans and Phil Giles, the Brentford Director of Football. And uh, yeah, which is all good. And we're going to talk about that right now. Saturday, three o'clock kickoff. There's no game. We're meant to be playing Wigan yesterday. And uh, fingers crossed, you know, that would have been a fantastic afternoon for the bees. But no, as we know, there's no football at the moment now, pretty much anywhere in the world, unless when we talk about that later. I think it's Belarus where I think they're still playing football there because uh, the, the president uh, just doesn't believe that coronavirus is a problem. So there's all sorts of activity happening over there. But we'll come back to Brentford here. So instead, the Griffin Park Grapevine, you know, the Brentford Forum, decided to hold a, uh, a hangout with Phil Giles on Zoom, which is one of these uh, platforms which you can actually kind of do your chatting, you know, your, your video chats, your conference chats. Uh, it's become very popular, obviously, over the last few weeks. And so they uh, held a little chat. And, and I know you guys are involved. I mean, I haven't heard it. I'm going to hear the, the version back because I was pretty busy yesterday afternoon. But the good thing about these things is that, you know, that it can be re-uploaded to uh, any platform and you can hear it back. So I actually very much look forward to just to hearing what was going on with Phil Giles and, uh, and at Brentford, which apparently went on for a couple of hours. But I've got a little bit of a lowdown from you guys. But I mean, Laney, I mean, tell us a bit more about it. How, how good was it? Yeah, once once um, once they got rid of the wankers at the beginning of it, there was um, there was some, some absolute idiots trying to kind of trying to hijack it and and uh, and ruin it for everyone. But uh, whether they were idiot Brentford fans or idiot QPR fans, they're just idiots full stop. Um, but luckily, Trevor and these admin people were able to knock them out um, of, of the group quite quickly. So after about. 15, 20 minutes, um, we've got some serious questions going. Um, yeah, I mean, I touched on it at the beginning of this pod that, you know, it was it was difficult to know when the right time was to kind of start talking about football in Brentford. And I think it was probably critical that someone from Brentford was the one that did kick that, kickstart that. So, you know, Phil, um, you know, I assume people are very well aware of, you know, what he's been doing at Brentford over the past four or five years. Um, and he's, he's a calm, rational, intelligent, and very personable guy. And it's you know it's uh, it's, it's great to have him or someone like him at, at, at you know at, in, in charge of Brentford as, as a director of football. So yeah, I mean I think there was a lot of worried Brentford fans who who were, were asking questions. I thought the standard of the questions was excellent, um, and it was good to to hear that Phil was you know was was kind of. Not too, not too overly, kind of 
panicky about anything at all. Uh, you know, I, I was a bit concerned, or um, you know, when I when I sort of sat down to listen to it, that it was going to be a succession of oh, I, I, I don't really know, I can't really answer that question until we get back and you know things return to some sort of normality. Um, but he, he, he did, you know, he did answer things, um, and he did seem to feel that football would survive this, and and more importantly, or most importantly, Brentford, Brentford will survive this because you know my my also my worry is you know we all we all assume that um, you know there's there's enough money to to cope with whatever. Um, Matt Benham will find you know the funds to to keep us going. No matter what, but you know his his you know, the backbone of his of his his you know fortunes has been made out of betting and betting on sport, um, and there isn't any sport um, at the moment, so there's no one betting on on that. And it's, but it's interesting. Sorry to interrupt you because it's just picking on that very point there because it's interesting you mentioned that there's no one betting on sport, uh, and the one thing that we know about. Uh, again, Matthew Benham is he's uh, a person, he comes from the tech field, he comes from the tech world. And, and if you ever sit down in chats to him, they have basically they have lots of meetings where they have from the person at the very bottom of the company all the way to the top of the company. They always throw ideas into the pot. So they're always willing to sort of evolve and uh, they never sort of kind of shut their minds against any things, you know. And so they're always looking for, you know, for new ways because he's basically one of his things is he says, if we stand still, we'll be finished as a company. So we've always got to evolve. We've always got to evolve. And I think he's trying to take that same attitude with football as well, saying that, you know, we can't just carry on doing what football has been doing for years. We've got to always evolve, which I think is, you know, the reason why I say, I think we know this is the reason why we're here now. Now, one thing that he said from what I can, un from what I gather is um, we thought, oh no, you're going to be in trouble because obviously people aren't gambling. They've said, well, esports is a is a is a burgeoning area it's an area which is actually kind of in, increasing at the moment now so you know they may be looking in other areas where they can actually kind of switch their their uh, their gambling business is that right yeah he, he did he did mention that um but you know it's, it's how quickly you can you can sort of diversify into that market um you know it might be something you know that happens in in the month in a few months time but you know, i can't imagine you can just flip into that um, and you know, I don't know enough about the the sport um, environment to know what what kind of uh, games are going on and what sports are going on and whether they're actually trustworthy. You know, whether whether they're actually kind of like the algorithm behind it all is actually factors in some sort of uh, you know fairness and there's not there's not people just cheating basically. So I don't know enough to work to know whether that is something that you can move into. But you know, Phil did talk about as you know, he, he's got one hat on, which is you know the the director of football at Brentford, and his other hat is working at Smart Odds and helping forecast um, you know revenue streams and and budgets and, and that kind of stuff for for Matt. So um, yeah, he didn't seem panicky, um, which you know is good for us. But he, he did talk about the club having to. Um, to make a lot of changes and you know John Varney's letter which I know we'll talk about as well it touched upon that on on, on Friday as well so you know it, it does it it does impact us massively um, but it, it did really seem business as as almost normal for for, for us moving forward 
and, and and it's interesting because obviously, I mean, and again, if you know Phil and I know Phil uh, very well, you know, you say he wasn't really phased by many things. If you ever chat to Phil, I mean, he's the, the coolest, you know, he's the coolest guy in the room. You know, even if the sort of kind of the walls are falling around around you, he'll still be pretty, pretty cool. So I think um, in a way that's positive for us because it means that, you know, you can concentrate and actually kind of the job in hand as opposed to, to, to having the panic factor. I mean, I'm just wondering, Matt, I mean, I know you, you, you're lying on your bed listening to it as well. I mean, um, Phil talked quite a lot, because obviously it's a massive area, um, about when we may or may not go back to playing football. And uh, that's a big, I mean, that's a, this has been a big sort of kind of bone of contention in, in many areas. I mean, if you check out um, on the on the Twitter feed, um, the Huddersfield um, and he takes that chance podcast. They actually did an article where they asked twenty four fans from all the different clubs what their preferred um, sort of kind of resumption of the season or finishing of the season will be, and there'd be sort of various reasons to finishing immediately, sort of null and voiding the season, to kind of starting it up whenever it's going to get started, even if it's six or eight months, to, you know, to kind of, you know, every team getting just a number of points to finish the season off. So there's real different views from people, depending on, uh, I think, their club's position, you know. There's people like Lees are saying, right, I think you should finish the season now, you know, whereas I think the teams in the relegation zone are going, no, you shouldn't finish the season now, you need to finish it off. So, um, but it's interesting to know what Phil's views on that, um, the Allard. Yeah, I mean, Phil was, for me, Phil was very clear that the season um, needs to finish. Um, and, um, and and he didn't talk about timescales in terms of when that could, you know, when football could start again, because obviously nobody knows. And he wasn't prepared to get into, you know, in, in, into timescales, really. I mean, there was a little there was a little bit of this, a little bit of that thrown around. But but the reality was he knows as well as we all do that, you know, we don't know the answer to that. However, once football does start again, um, he is clear that the season needs to be finished. Um, there was a question about whether is it possible that the top three could get promoted and the season stops now. And he thought that sounded, I mean, he, he rubbished that idea. That wasn't going to happen. I mean, that obviously is something that, you know, is, is worrying some Brentford fans because we're sitting in fourth. Um, but he, he rubbished that idea. He didn't feel there was any chance of that happening. Um, and then we talked a bit, we talked about more general timescales in terms of when football does start again, how does it start again? Because, because what's really clear um, for me, and, and, and one of the questions I asked Phil, is that really we're in off-season now. We're not in, we're not in a holding pattern at the moment. You know, the players aren't staying match fit. They just can't be. You know, because they're not a, they're not training together, and b, you know, even if they do do some training at home and do some exercise out on the streets, like like we're doing with a with a session a day, there's no way they can stay fit. So there has to be a preseason, and there has to be a preseason because if you don't, if you just send a load of players back out on the pitch and they're not fit, they're just going to get injured. Um, you know, they're not going to be able to do 90 minutes of football. So there has to be some sort of a pre-season. Um, he touched a bit on whether there could be pre-season friendlies and stuff like that. He wasn't very clear on that. But certainly um, there needs to be some, you know, some, some, some full-on preparation work. And then he spoke a bit about how is it possible that you end this season and then lead straight into the next season so that you don't have another break and then have to have another pre-season. And obviously he didn't have the answers to that, but that was one of his feelings. So I thought that was, you know, you know, you know that was... That for me is interesting. It's one of the things I've been thinking of is that there's no way we can just step back into football quickly. It's not going to happen. You're going to need a four, five, six-week pre-season, I reckon. And he, 
and he did mention that the club hadn't given up on second place as well. I, I think there was. Yeah. It, it wasn't just a matter of oh yeah, we just want to we want to get back playing football, get the season over and done with, and see if we can get in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I think the ambition and the, the target of, of you know setting setting their, setting their sights on promotion is, is quite clear. That's not that's not diminished. And it's also it's interesting because what he's you know from what I can see what he said as well. He, uh, because one of the fears, like I said to some people, one of the things that people are saying is that said you can't just finish the, the season. I mean, obviously in Belgium, you know, they finished the season earlier, straight away. So, you know, the team that was top, was it, was it, was it Ghent? Who was, or was it Bruges? I can't remember. But whatever team was top in Belgium, they've been given the, uh, the championship and the, and the teams in the relegation zones have been, given rele- have been relegated, you know, so they finish the season there and then. But over here, obviously, they're saying um, there's different thoughts. They've obviously finished um, from step three all the way down. So just below the, com- the conference uh, and the conference south, all the leagues below that, they've basically null and voided the season, which is gutting for teams like Worthing, who are, you know, who are at the top, you know, and uh, look like they're going to get promoted to the National League south. And all of a sudden that's, you know, thrown out the window. And uh, a lot of people are sort of saying, you know, why, why has this happened? Why have they null and voided the season? Why couldn't they wait for three or four months and, and continue? What is the rush to get into next, to next season? And I think that is, that is one of the questions that's going out there. But it's interesting how Phil apparently said, you know, it causes massive problems for football if we shut the season down permanently. So I think he's talking about, you know, obviously clubs like us have put lots of money in. You know that, you know, going from the Championship to the Premier League, is a massive gulf in financial income. Lots of teams have been, you know, planning their, you know, their, 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 their trajectory over years. You know, for us, we've been planning for 10 years to get to this stage. And we didn't sort of kind of do a Derby County and sell our stadium and, and throw loads of money in sort of four or five years ago. We waited till the money had come in. We'd sold all the players we needed to. We had enough coffers in the bank to actually spend the money this year. And uh, I think the thinking is thinking, oh, hold on a second, you, you know, I know it's, it's, there's a bigger thing out there with the tragedy and people, you know, dying and, and people being ill. But just let's just take stock. Why do we have to start at any particular time? Why can't we stop and then restart when the time is right? And I think that's what Phil is saying here. He said there's no rush to actually make a, a decision about this. And I think that is I think that's a sensible way. Yeah, I mean, Bill, I think one of the things that we haven't talked about and what is very likely is if you were to, if the authorities were to try and shut down the season now as it stands, I think there'll be a whole load of legal challenges. I really do. I think we, you know, the only people who would benefit from the season being shut now would be the lawyers because I think there would be legal challenges from the clubs coming down from the Premier League, clubs that wanted to go up from the Championship, relegation into Division 1, etc., etc., um, and you know, football is going to look a mightily changed place when we do get playing, and I think we need some constants in it. And the constant in this case is that we have to finish this particular season, um, even if we are finishing the the, the nineteen twenty season. Actually, in twenty twenty one, we need to finish it and need to be clear about who's being promoted, who's relegated where clubs finish because of all the financial consequences as well. I mean, this is going to be a difficult one. We're never, there's never going to be a right answer. And in the grander scheme of things, as you say, it doesn't matter one jolt. But I do think that um, football being aware it is and many owners of football clubs and many companies that own football clubs, Brentford being an honourable 
pretty much an honourable exception to the rule, uh, they are going to try and screw as much money out of they can um, and make sure that they are not fa financially disadvantaged. And um, what worries me is that if we say, right, let's put a stop to the season now, we'll be arguing too much. Um, things will be solved in the courts rather than on the football fields as they should be. For me, sorry, for me it's about um, you, you start with a set of rules. You're going to play this season with uh, 46 games. You're going to play home and away, every team in your league. The teams that come first and second go up, etc., etc. And you have to finish the season because you've started off with those rules. Next season could be very different. We could have a one-off season, which is, you know, two-thirds of the length that a normal season is, but you'd know from the beginning. And that's the important thing. If you know from the beginning, the lawyers don't have a say. What, what, would, what, what would be, and you're right there, Sav, as well, because you could do anything you wanted to. You know, you could decide to make it, you know, you only play a team once instead of twice. So you, you, you toss a coin as to whether or not we're going to be playing Fulham at Craven Cottage or at Griffin Park, say, for example. Um, you know, presuming that we haven't got promoted, of course. Um, but, um, but also, you know, so, so, so you are right. But just coming back to this season, obviously, and this is something that the Allard has brought up before, which is a, a massive point. Obviously, the contracts finish on the 30th of June. And it's very easy to turn around and say, well, you've got to just tell everybody they have to extend their contracts and just stay until the, you know, and stay until, you know, the contract, until the season's finished. Now, if the season doesn't start again until October, you know, where does that leave that? And for me, I think that that could be a bit of a tricky situation, isn't it, Allard? Yeah, I mean, Phil said that he, he's no lawyer, but he felt that that would be a push to be able to just extend players' contracts. And then that leads straight on to something else, which, which I hadn't really thought about, um, was that, and Phil firmly believes that there needs to be a transfer window, um, assuming that we don't start playing again in, in May or June or whatever, which I, I don't think we will. Um, and, and then if it drags on, Phil believes there needs to be a transfer window, or there should be a transfer window. He, had, he made a couple of one of his arguments to this was it was a way that clubs that are financially unstable can get some money in. Um, and that probably was, that, that was in some respects his main argument. Now I really hadn't thought that that was something that could happen because you kind of feel like, well, there wasn't going to be another transfer window during this season. So why should there be another transfer window? But if players are going to go out of contracts and you can't just extend the contracts, if you don't have some sort of... I mean, I know you could not have a transfer window and just do out-of-contract players, but, hey, you might as well go the whole hog. Um, and then what that leads on to, and, and, and I, you know, I, I asked Phil directly this, is so we therefore could see teams looking very, very different to um, how they finished um, three or four weeks ago to how they start up again in terms of personnel, which is... Like and that really is a is almost a I, I don't think game change is the right word but that could be really kind of interesting. The thing I would take from Phil is that if he feels there should be a transfer window, because I worry that of the disruption that could potentially cause to us. At least that says to me he has some confidence that we're not one of the clubs that would need to be selling, because otherwise I don't think he'd be as supportive of it. I think maybe the transfer window is the one thing that has to be unaffected by this. I think maybe the, the contractual, you know, if the contract's mm. finished at the end of June, we're not going to get, I don't think we're going to get football played before the end of June. No. But that, that allows clubs to, to either re-sign players that are out of contract on, on, on shorter term deals to get, get through to when the season may finish in its natural course. Um, 
and you know in in you're right he mentioned the ability for clubs that were really struggling to maybe um sell their better players to help them survive and i think he he was saying yeah it might leave them weaker but it's better that the club are around for another hundred years than 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 hold on to a player that might make that may kind of you know make mean they, they can't make make themselves viable going forward um you know it's, it's, it is massively complicated but i think maybe that that legal, you know, change, having a season finished naturally, the thing that will lead to um, uh, legal shenanigans is if you start messing around with players' contracts. And I think, you know, that's the one thing that probably won't get changed. I may be wrong, but um, I think that's. The, I think we'll, uh, you know, be looking at the end of June as, as a time where the players that were out of contract just need to look for other clubs. So they, it's the same for all clubs. The one thing I would say about this is that I think uh, the financial. Uh, the financial world will look a lot different in football um, when this is all over and when we get up and playing again. And I would suggest to you that probably the days of the huge transfer fees, the overinflated transfer fees that are going on. I mean, you know, we referenced the Sunderland documentary going on. I mean, I've just watched the episode where Will Grigg is transferred from Wigan to Sunderland, who, who are a Division One team, for £4 million. I mean, you know... Just, just sit. Uh, uh, you know, football is going to have to get itself onto a massive, uh, realistic way forward because the money ain't going to be there. Uh, television companies aren't going to be pumping in the huge sums that they've had. The money from uh, other commercial revenues will be down. I think football is in for a, in for a bit of a reckoning from the Premier League all the way down to the lower league. ノンリーグクラブ、which so those contracts are going to be up if the player doesn't want to sign a new contract, if the club doesn't want to keep that contract running, it's going to end. The important thing now is what happens to those players that are out of contract? Can they join other clubs? Uh, is, is, you know, and can they play? Because in theory, if you haven't got a transfer window, they can't. I think you know, there's some rules that they can't play up until a certain time. So it's, it's, that's going to be quite interesting, I think. Yeah, uh, because I mean, someone like Corellis, you know, he's he's out. We're not going to, um, you know, extend his contract if we don't want to, because we'll be paying him loads of money, and we know he's injured. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I think we're going off. I think we could go off on a tangent, and maybe it's best not to, as we should keep it where we are. But, but it is. It's interesting because suddenly he could have no income because what other club now? What what? How many clubs, you know, there's loads of players going to go out of contract. Will clubs be trying to sign the out-of-contract players and start paying them at this point, even though there's no foot, even if there's no football on the horizon? Um, I mean, it's a different, it's a, it's a different story, but but there could be a load of players that are, you know, aren't, aren't and, and I'm thinking, I am thinking more of the lower league players in terms of 
you know, the ones that are trying to balance the books rather than the ones that are earning, you know, um, 50 grand a week or whatever. And there's also, it's an interesting scenario because, I mean, just like, I mean, we talked about the, I said the article that went around where we were asking fans what they think that their best end of the season was. And they gave a lot of them, a lot of them, not everybody, gave their answer depending on what their uh, position was with their team's position, you know, and they just kind of best case scenario, like I said to you, Leeds fans wanted it to finish now. Um, but also, you know, we have a situation where players, um, if, if, if contracts are up on the 30th of uh, June, some teams are going to be worse off than other teams. And so, say, for example, if I remember rightly, for us, OK, we've got Makocho, who's going to be out of contract, who's one of the sort of the key sort of first team players, first team stroke bench players that'll be out of contract. But other than that, if I remember rightly, everybody else is pretty much in contract. So for us, personally, we'd probably be in a better position than, you know, maybe, I don't know, Fulham or kind of West Brom or or, or, or maybe one of our rivals out there, who, you know, Nottingham Forest maybe, who they might find that they've got three or four key players are going to be out of contract in, in September. I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing this in. And so you've also got a scenario where, you know, people are going to ask you what is fair, what is not fair, or is it just, that's just the way that it is? There's no answer to that, Bill. There is no answer. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's literally there are... You know, there are going to be victims of circumstance. It's it's just that you know there is there is whatever you do for a living, whatever whatever you do for your your hobbies, there is going to be there is it's impossible for there to be no victims. Um, in, you know, in this, you know, it's gonna it's gonna impact on every walk of life, and you know, it's, it's almost impossible to make things exactly as, we, uh, as when we went into it. So. Uh, yeah, you know, unfortunately, there are going to be players that, that, that get cast aside and it impacts them more than ones that are lucky enough to be in contract. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be worrying times for a lot of players, for sure. And also, interestingly, just um, Phil also mentioned, from what I saw, he also mentioned the fact that he thought for that Fulham game, Pontus Janssen may have returned for that because he's, he's fit enough and he's fit. So all of a sudden, you know, with this sort of kind of season being um, uh, procrastinated to win it to whatever time, um, obviously we've had a period as Brentford. And like I said to you, let's just look at the footballing situation. We've had a sort of couple of months where we've had a few injuries which we feel have affected us. But all of a sudden is that, you know, if the season comes back in August or September or October, whenever it is, we potentially actually will have a stronger team than we may have had in, you know, the 13th of, of March. Um, don't you think? We also may see um, Sergi Canos again before the end of the season. This is another player that's you know had a long-term injury. Um, you know, you know, I'm I'm assuming that you know, looking at his pictures and looking at him training, you wouldn't think that he had a massively serious career-threatening knee injury. But uh, he seems to be well on the course of that, and uh, um, so you know. Depending on when we actually do get back to playing football, then you know he may be in the shake and he may be in the mix-up uh, at some stage too. Although the club may decide to just mothball him until you know whenever future you know down the line. But uh, there's no, there's certainly no rush. But you're right. I think Pontus will be playing every one of those nine games if he's chosen. And, and 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 you know if if we don't come back till October, Marcus Force might even be kind of you know maybe there or thereabouts as well. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And yeah, he, he he referred to that as well. That um, you know, that there is potential for that. And but I guess I guess a lot of 
was dialed in or was aware, but they probably also have players that can come back from injury. So um, you'd have to look in a bit more detail, like you said, about the out-of-contract players. And I think that's one thing that we did get from yesterday, that it was very much a case of looking at things like the, the silver lining around the dark cloud. There, 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 there were positives. He, he, you know, he, he, certainly, he certainly wasn't sort of doom and gloom in any, in any way, shape or form. So, you know, I, th- I think we, sh- we should be confident that they, they've got things under control. You definitely should be. Listen, so look, we're going to come back and we're going to chat about this more. We're going to talk about Phil Giles a bit more and also we're going to talk about John Varney and Cliff Crown who wrote a letter, an open letter to the fans about various things that are going around at Brentford and also there's more general things as well because we're talking about, you know, wages and players' wages and players taking cuts in their wages as well and how that's going to impact football and the rest of the world. So we'll come back after a little twang because I need to go out and, uh, well, I've got to run out of wine. I'm up to have an orange juice or something like that and we'll come back after the train and we'll talk about a few more things Brentford so still talking football here still talking about what's going on at Brentford and in and around football and one of the big things that has happened in the last few days was a number of teams their players have decided to take either a pay cut or a deferral in wages deferral in wages means that you agree to take a cut in your wages until a particular time as to whether the cash flow is back in the club and then afterwards, uh, I presume they'll just give it back to you in a, in a big lump sum. I think that's going to happen. So uh, Brentford were one of the teams who decided to defer their wages. The players you know, had a big chat and they decided they were going to defer their wages because they felt that it was going to help the club, help the cash flow scenario. I mean, at the moment now, yes, it's great having a benefactor like Matthew Benham who's uh, putting money in left, right and centre. The last few years, obviously, he, I mean, he's putting a lot of money over 100 million, but the last few years, the club's become relatively self-sufficient. I say relatively, obviously, we've got the new stadium and other things that have happened, but relatively. So so uh, we've been relying on him probably a lot less than we would have done in the past few years, but the idea of just expecting the owner to just sort of throw in sort of kind of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions during this scenario is uh, probably deemed as being a little bit unreal. So the players had a chat, they decided to defer their wages, which will help the cash flow scenario with Brentford at the time when we haven't got as much money coming in and uh, enables a lot of the staff to, in effect, to keep their jobs because uh, it made it a lot easier. So, uh, I mean, that's a situation which went down really well. And like I said to you, Pontus is obviously at Leeds United. And Leeds United players did exactly the same thing as well. So I think he knew what the procedure was and what the conversations were there as well. Um, Phil talked about this as well on his, uh, on, on, his, on his podcast that he did with the GPG yesterday, didn't he, Matt? Um, yeah, he did a bit. Yeah, he, he talked about um, how, you know, it was led by the players, as I understand it. And... Um, and it was them sort of, you know, or the se- some senior players. I think he mentioned Pontus. Uh, did he mention Norgard and Dalsgard maybe as well? Um, that they were the, you, you know, that they'd all spoken with the players and they and they came to the club about it. That that was the impression that I got. Yeah, that, that was that, that was the impression I got as well. And uh, you know, I think some fans um, of other clubs, probably more than more than ours, would would be expecting their players to take pay cuts. But Phil was Phil kind of went at length to kind of say that he he thought that the players you know deserve the money they earn. He said you know football is very much about enter an entertainment um, you know industry. They are the they are the creators. They are the ones that we go and watch. And you know he he wasn't again very concerned about them earning too much. 
and obviously in the very very high end you know you'd be you'd be very hard pushed to justify someone earning a million pounds a week doing whatever they do but uh you know at, at brentford i think there obviously are some what we would consider high earners but you know not in the scheme of things further up he did mention about some of the non-planned staff being furloughed which is uh you know basically their job to be mothballed um and then re-employed uh but using you know government money to pay 80 percent of, of their wages and either the club or, or, or you know paying the other 20 or not so uh you know there, there are some some employees at brentford who who will have um you know been furloughed which you know again it's a, it's a, you know it's a very unsettling time for them as it, as it is anyone else in any other job elsewhere um but uh, yeah it, it, i guess it's good to know that the, the the club you know in this letter from from john varney they 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 actually went on record as saying how grateful they were to the players for giving them that flexibility to know that the the biggest the biggest kind of uh, draw and resources, which is players' wages, is is something that you know is, is being alleviated slightly um, for the for the for the short term at the very least. Can I can I just say that um, if if true, uh, what Lyle Thomas, the journalist, wrote was that it isn't actually a pay cut um, or pay reduction across the board. It's the our higher earners who have taken the bigger hit, and I think that everybody uh, above five grand a week has been reduced to five grand a week, and I think that has enabled them to leave the lesser paid players to carry on earning uh, what they've been earning. So I think that's quite a nice way of doing it, where those that can most afford to pay it uh, have been, uh, you know, paying through that cut. Sorry, not everybody's down. Not everyone's going down to five. I mean, if you're on twenty grand a week, you're not going down to five grand a week. Though, is that is that is that right? Well, that 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 was the intention. That that was the impression mm. that Lyle Thomas gave. That uh, the the top now is five grand. So if you're earning above five grand, you go down to five grand. And I presume if you're earning below that, you're still getting what you were getting. Which I think is quite a nice way of doing it. That was reported elsewhere as well. I think I read a report mm. in the Daily Mirror that from John Cross, the the, the Daily Mirror's football correspondent, that, that that said roughly the same thing. So clearly, clearly things are moving in that direction, and that's a good way. And you know, it helps support those players in the B team as well, um, who will be you know they'll be on much lower wages and annual salary, um, and but some of them will have quite a lot of expenses. I, although I noticed that a number of the overseas players from the B team and I think I might have said this yesterday were returned home to um, or, or went home before the lockdown so they'll be living living back in their um, home countries um, which is probably a sensible way forward as well it is. And, and, and I'm just wondering because obviously this has come off the back of or there's like a big political football at the moment now which has been sort of kind of battered around at this time where people are talking about the fact that you know Premier League or certain some Premier League footballers have decided not to take a pay cut and there's a big question mark flying around as to whether or not why people are sort of pointing their fingers at footballers why should footballers be the only people that should pay, take parts take pay cuts you know why aren't other people taking pay cuts and and a lot of people are sort of thinking that this is probably like a little bit of not mis, misinformed but they they they're throwing the question mark as to why football is always the 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 the, the, the I say the, the workplace which which comes under the microscope i mean I know, Liberal, you, you had some thoughts about that, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, the key thing here is, as you said, Bill, it's why, is, why should it only be footballers taking pay cuts? 
there are you know there are people who in other branches of the entertainment industry who get large sums of money paid to them there are people working in banking and in you know insurance and financial services there are people even let it be said in the higher reaches of the political world who are paid tens of thousands of pounds a week um, and earn a very decent sum of, of money out of out of it should they be taking pay cuts too i don't see the clamor growing i don't understand why it is that footballers are being um singled out for this you know is it because people are jealous of young men earning sums of money that most of us can never imagine earning in in the course of our lives or or is there something actually that you know football is seen as a a frivolous game and something that that shouldn't be you know taken too seriously so i mean you know at the end of all this i I would suggest that probably where we're all going to be paying a bit more tax and hopefully those that are in the higher earning strata of society will be paying a lot more tax than, than than others on this football football cannot football has a responsibility um, it annoys me that uh, some of the bigger clubs um, in the Premier League have furloughed their staff um, while their multi-billion um, billion note owners um, still manage to uh, exist. Thank you very much indeed. Um, and I don't, but I don't think that footballers should be taken out as a special example. If and you're it, insisting that one section of society should take the pay cut, okay. And interesting, you say that as well because as you literally as you were speaking there, uh, the Liberal Manchester City have actually just announced that they are not going to furlough any of their non-playing staff at all. So uh, yeah, that's the announcement that they've literally have just made Sunday afternoon. Uh, in and around that point, so like I said to you, it depends but, on... But, 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 but what, what, what this shouldn't be turning into is my club is better than yours. Don't let's go into Manchester City are better than Liverpool and Tottenham and, you know, because there are a lot of things about Manchester City that is very wrong um, and where they get their money from. But, you know, that's for a separate podcast, separate discussion. I do not want this to be turned into a public relations exercise where we clubs try and outdo each other in their generosity and their how well their their munificence you know well, rubbish to that man, man city we have man a city. discussion about which parts of society should be paying more in tax and uh, in tax to help everybody man city have done exactly done exactly that though haven't they they've seen how the other clubs are getting it in the neck by furloughing the staff and then they've not done that based on the it's, it's a pr decision it's not you know you know or it's partially a pr decision i'm sure i mean that may be a massive massive like accusation that's wrong but i don't think so as you say they're, they're, they're not kind of squeaky clean elsewhere in, in how they operate, Nick, are they? So, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Man City have obviously seen what Tottenham and Liverpool have done and thought, right, they're going to get it in the neck. If public pressure works, then that's good. That's what we want, isn't it? We want the public to put pressure on these organisations and it's, it's working. Can I, can I just take this back to Brentford and, and the letter that we all got from, um, from, from, from the senior management team, which was, which was a good letter if long. But the one thing I'm slightly concerned wasn't spoken about was um, what will happen about paying for season tickets for Lionel Road. Um, because um, it's great that we've got 
I think it was we've sold already 6, sold over six thousand season tickets plus nine hundred a thousand odd for in the premium seat. But for a lot of people um, who are deferring payments on their season ticket, I think the final payment is due in May, if I'm right in thinking. And there will be some to whom that will be a struggle to make it. And my plea to the club is at least let's have a discussion. Perhaps you could extend the payment period. Perhaps you could pay. A smaller amount over a longer period time t- towards making the total cost of your your season ticket. It'd be nice to hear that something that coming from the club as well. Um, I appreciate you know it doesn't need to be in the next week, but I think there will be a lot of people who have been seriously impacted by um, the coronavirus. Uh, Brentford fans who have been severe who will also be looking at thinking how can I pay for my season ticket for Lionel Road. So bit of bit of clarity and information from the club in the in the near future on that would be appreciated by many, I'm sure. And just to let you know, the FSA have actually been polling clubs up and down the country to find out what they're doing about season tickets. Because it's not only us that are in the situation, it's clubs up and down the country. Some clubs have been extending their early bird um, period where people actually can buy early bird tickets. Some people are actually kind of just extending the time where you have to pay your final season ticket. And some other clubs have actually just put it on hold because they say indefinitely, we don't know what's happening next season. So they put season tickets uh, um, sales on hold. For Brent Brentford, um, I know Bias have actually put the question in, because I've been speaking to, 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 to Bias to find out what's been going on. They put the question into the club to finding out exactly what is happening. So hopefully in the next few weeks, we will find out what is happening with the season ticket thing, because it is a, it is a big point for a lot of people who obviously are, uh, are, are tightening their belts, shall we say. And also the other thing is, obviously, if you, if you don't know when the season's going to start, it makes it quite difficult for you, because if the season doesn't start till November... You know, I think fans are probably thinking for ourselves, we need to kind of actually kind of move accordingly with that. So anyway, but listen, other points we're going to be talking about, because we were talking about season tickets. We've got a new stadium, which we're going to be moving into in a few months time. And that has been put on ice at the moment now, hasn't it, Lane? Yeah, it has. Um, the construction workers, um, it's been decided that they've been, they've scaled all of that back. Um, but I think they said that it was like quite a few hundred people in and around the, uh, the new stadium site. Um, so they, it was it was decided that they were going to uh, kind of back to the essentials. I think it's electric electrical work was still continuing to happen. Um, but I think I think to be honest, we weren't a million miles away from it being finished anyway. I think it was a matter of weeks away rather than it being months and months away still. And I, I know that all of this, uh, you know, it, it adds to the um, insecurity or uncertainty. But I don't. It's not like we were, you know, uh, looking. We, we were stand. You know, we're stand down. We're not. We only we built three of them, but the fourth one's not. It's not there. I think, by all intents and purposes, it, it's 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 almost ready. So uh, I think it was. I don't think it was at second fix stage. I think it was. I think it was like at. It was, it, I think they were talking about handing over and giving the keys, weren't they, during April? So yes, yes. It's, uh, it, it's not. It's not going to knock us back massively, but obviously it's gonna. It's gonna. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it has kind of knocked back the deadline, but there's going to be time. We've still got we've still got nine games to go. I am assuming that all of those nine games, whether they're with fans watching or without fans watching, will be played at Griffin Park. So we weren't nine weeks away from or eight weeks away from finishing the stadium. So I think as all the deadlines slip together, we should probably be able to make up that time. But 
yeah, it's, it has had an impact. But the question I'm going to ask, and I suppose it's, it's worthwhile throwing this into the pot now as we're sort of looking ahead, we're talking about new stadium. Obviously, the plans for moving into the new stadium is the stadium doesn't open just like that. It needs to get a safety certificate. And for it to get a safety certificate, we've got to do a number of test events at the new stadium. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how many, if it's three or four or five. And it's got to be, I think, you know, I mean, I did it. I went to New Wembley, um, Wembley Stadium now. And I went to, you know, one of the first test events, which is an England under 21 game, where I think they're only allowed sort of kind of 20,000 or 25,000 fans in. Then they sort of kind of build it up more and more as the time goes along. So obviously with this whole coronavirus thing happening and things being knocked back, the test events are, you know, they're not even in the diary at the moment now. So again, when you're talking about when is the new stadium going to open, I mean, do you think we might actually have a scenario where we actually might end up playing, you know, a game at Griffin Park, you know, the first game at Griffin Park, maybe next season? I, I, I think that you, you do need test events in normal circumstances. These aren't normal circumstances. I, I, I think that they, there may be some sort of rules that are bent. Um, I think it's imperative that the stadium will be safe, but... We, we all, all of this is CGI designs that the, the authorities will know that, you know, the, 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 the entrances and the exits are all up to a certain standard. The, the, the local authority will know that this is this is this meets every single regulation above and beyond what what is required. They won't events they're, they're just tick boxes i know normally you have to do that but i got a feeling that in these circumstances they might just say one test event is all right at 75 percent and we might we might have to have a, a slightly reduced capacity in, in the new stadium for for the whatever next season whenever next season is um and that but that won't be a problem because i don't think we'll be at 100 percent you know straight away anyway so it, it I, I agree that normally there's three test events and that would put the cat amongst the pigeons as we are but i think like with everything i think like common sense is going to have to dictate and say like normal this isn't normal so as long as, long as every every precaution has been taken in the design and the build then one test event will be all right thank you yeah lot. I mean, who knows really? Because you know, there's, there's, there's. The first thing is, is when's the season? This is when does the following season start? I think until any, until some of that becomes a bit clearer, I don't think you can really sort of make judgments on what is happening to the new stadium when it will happen. I mean, you know, do you have to finish this season in the old stadium? There's obviously a rule that says you should start and finish a season in the same stadium. Phil Giles sort of touched on that a little bit. Um, Tottenham had an alleviation on that. I, I, I think at the moment, until we have, until we're clear on dates of when things will start again, um, I think it's difficult to have a discussion about where the new stadium fits into that. Is, is my is my sort of I mean is my sort of overall feeling I mean say you finish the old season sorry say you finish this season in the old stadium that gives you what eight seven or eight weeks to you've got to go through the playoffs that's another few weeks gives you plenty of time to run play B team games or something at the new stadium you know alongside not alongside it you know, on the same day, but alongside these events. So the, 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 there will be opportunities to do all that sort of stuff. Um, but until it's clearer, uh, when we start again, then, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think we can provide the answers right at the minute. We can always get something down to player friendly. Yeah. yeah. I think the only problem with Matt's idea is that um, we might be playing these games at Griffin Park, but with no fans. 
So it's, it's a matter of when the fans are allowed back yeah. into stadiums. That's when you have to have your test events. So there might be a little bit of a lag. I suspect, and especially as Phil Giles was saying, that the close season next season could be really, really small. It could be just a matter of a couple of weeks from the end of this season into the following season. Because, you know, we've had our close season already. So it, it, it might be a little bit of an issue trying to get three test events done once fans are allowed back in, into, uh, into stadiums. Yeah, I mean, fair point, Sav. Yeah, yeah. I'm just. I mean, I'm just going to go around the table here, and again, no one's got a crystal ball. No one knows what's going on. You know, the, the ball part has been changing massively every single week, almost like every single day. But I'm just wondering now that we've kind of sat down, we know we're, we're in lockdown. You know, everyone kind of realizes that we're here for the long term. It's not like you know you're going to pop out your house tomorrow and everything's going to be changed. We're here for the long term. Two questions I'm going to ask you. First of all, when realistically do you think that this season will start? Um, next, realistically, uh, with, is it going to be with or without fans? And the second question is that when do you think the follow-up season should start and in what format? I'll start with the Allard. Um, I don't think you can answer that personally. I'm not going to be, uh, this may sound, I'm going to try and be difficult um, and get out of it. But until we really know what's going on, it's going to be very difficult to answer um, when it will start again. My gut feeling is that the Premier League for certain will I would expect, if we say most likely, to be played behind closed doors because there will be a financial driver to get that going again. So we will we will follow whatever happens. I'm not saying we'll do the same as the Premier League, but the Premier League will be that will be the most sort of driven in terms of trying to get it going again um, and potentially behind closed doors. Whether where we go, I don't know. In the Championship, um, it we certainly the financial driver behind it isn't as much as it is in the Premier League. I would think that then there will be a view as to how you can fit. I, I think what fa what's fascinating is the 2022 World Cup has potentially put everything out of kilter anyway. So I would imagine that there'll be a plan put in place that will somehow lead us to that. That would make quite a lot of sense to me. Um, I might be wrong. Um, I also think that what the other interesting part is that because step three and below has already called their season is how we how english football's pyramid could get out of kilter uh i hope that we'll be back playing in front of crowds in september completing this season uh, so, so there'll be nothing before that you're saying so you're saying there'll be anything back for for september so I hope we'll be able to complete the season in September. Then I would look at whether we do a um, truncated uh, following season, probably only play one team once, random draw about whether you play home or away, but with equal number of games at home and away. That's the only way I can see forward. Sav? Uh, I think we'll probably finish the season behind closed doors because we can do that earlier. And it will have a lesser impact on the following season. I think it'll be a drive for that. Personally, I'd, I'd rather wait an extra six weeks and have it uh, in front of fans. Um, I think whatever happens, we've got to curtail next season. There's lots of different ways you can do it. It doesn't have to be could be a bit more in the way that they split the, uh, the division in Scotland and, and play the last few games against half a, half a division. I think we could do something like that uh, down here as well. Laney? Oh, I'm, I'm hoping that we can get back to actually 
the games being played, I think it will be. I think it will start behind closed doors, and I think by the end of the actual the, the, the remaining fixtures, we'll with our crowds in there. I'm hoping we can start by the end of July, which probably does mean that we we, we finish in September. I, I do think that um, there needs to be more than a couple of weeks to, to in between seasons. I think we need to start the, the twenty the twenty one the twenty twenty one season. Um, quite quickly but we, you know, any team that, that that gets promoted are going to need some time to strengthen otherwise it, it it puts them at a huge disadvantage i think i think the turnaround needs to be more like three or four weeks so i think two is probably not quite enough um anything more than a month um i think you know they're dragging the heels but we might get in a situation where you know that 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 one month window that we, we think probably been um you know long overdue coming happens this time so and I, but I do think we'll have a full season, um, although it'll be completely out of kilter from where the normal start point is. I think it will be, you know, a, a nine-month season, um, and maybe the League Cup needs to, 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 to you know, be shelved, and maybe the FA Cup does for a season as well. I mean, behind closed doors, I think seems more likely for me personally. Uh, you know, I think September, the date that Sav said to me is is is, the, is a more likely date because at least. The thing about this is all this uncertainty. When you don't know about something and you're uncertain, every day you're just waiting for somebody to make a decision on what's going to happen. But if somebody turns around and puts a, a flag in the sand and said, I'll tell you what, September, which you know is quite a long time away, but at least you know in September, then you can actually start planning for September. And if, you, if it was September with crowds, I think that would be fantastic. You know, Obviously, if the coronavirus thing went horribly wrong, they'd have to readjust that you know in, in months down the line but I think if they turn around and said right we're looking and we're going to plan from September get the league finished in you know six weeks whatever it may do you know you're playing two games a season so you finish it in six weeks and then the following season because again there's no there is a rush because there's a cash flow situation for clubs obviously you know and also you know we've got the European don't forget we've got the European Championships now it's been put back to next season as well so but you could start the following season when it's when it's right to start the following season if that's you know october november or december and then you have to just work around it from there i think what's quite interesting as well just coming back to this there was an idea in the premier league that they were talking about putting premier league teams into a quarantined camp and basically getting them to play games over like a six week period where every day the games are going to be on television they're going to be televised they take them out of the zone all the camera people and everyone has been tested so that they're quarantined and they know it's going to be safe. And they thought that might be one solution to get the Premier League up and running and finished. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a crazy idea. Football, I, I don't like the idea of football behind closed doors. I don't like the idea of football being played to satisfy the whims of, of television companies. You know, we have got to get this sorted out and, and we have got to... We live in a changing world and a difficult place, but I'm sorry, football football won't get watched behind by you. People may watch one or two games with no fans, but I tell you, having seen some of the European games that took place just before the lockdown that were played behind closed doors, football is not the same without the fans. Stadium means delaying it. So be it. I'm sorry, but football is an awful place without fans. No other thoughts on that. I mean, I, 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 listen, I agree with. Listen, we all go to matches week in and week out. You know, but isn't there also a scenario where you know if it's a case of of that or or null and voiding the season, you know, 
isn't that a better option? There's no reason. To, sorry, there's no reason to make that choice. There's no reason to make that choice, Bill. That's you know. I'm just I'm being devil's advocate here, by the way. You know well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not being perceived. I mean, there, there kind of is a, there is an argument for that. I mean, it, 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 you know, whether whether they allow mass gatherings of people to the to the level of like even to twelve thousand, let alone seventy, eighty thousand that you get at Old Trafford, is, is, is questionable. You know, even if they we do get a test. And we know that the players that are, are taking part in these games are, you know, not putting anyone else at risk. Then, of course, behind completed is 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 an obvious thing to do if we're going to, you know, if it, if it gets gets to the point where the next season can start and, and crowds can get in there. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we all 100% agree that football without fans in there is is kind of like a shadow of, you know, it, it, it isn't. You know, it's, it's it's like watching it on on a, on a on a you know computer game, but uh, you know if it if it gets us out of a hole and it's you know it's a it's a one off then it, it needs to be considered and you know I, it it will be a sad sad day for football but it's a sad sad day for stop isn't it? This, 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 the I think uh, yeah I mean I think the most important thing is that the financial driver for football is television it isn't people it isn't the crowds and that, that that and therefore I suspect there will be football behind closed doors. Maybe not all levels, but um, but certainly driven by the Premier League. Yeah, I think. I mean, I think again. I think you're right there, the Allard. I mean, there's, listen, we've t- we've talked about that. We've talked about the new stadium. We've been shooting the breeze quite a lot, considering we came here with a pretty much a, a blank sheet of paper, yeah. which is which is which is all good. Okay, so we think we're going to come back later on the week and we'll talk about other bits and pieces with Brentford. I'll tell you something as well, because I've been chatting to a few ex players. <laughs> As well, we've been talking about doing this for a couple of weeks. We may actually even bring in one of the Brentford ex-players, one of the Brentford legends on. We might sort of start doing that over the next few weeks or bring them on. We're not sure in what format, but we'll let you know. We'll get on, you know, check on besotted.com, check on our Twitter, check on Facebook. We'll let you know how we do that as well, because what we wanted to do, we want to have a little bit of fun. We wanted to try and get a little bit more light-hearted. This is the first one, so it's been a little bit factual. But we just think that maybe we might start talking about, you know, old games, old times, times at Brentford that we actually remembered and really enjoyed. So we've got plenty of that. And, you know, any of your input will be well and truly, well, valued, as we say. But anyway, guys, it's been great to link up with you in the virtual joint once again. We haven't been there for quite a while. Stay safe and uh, keep yourself inside, as we say. I haven't said this for quite a while. What do we normally say at the end of the podcast? Yeah. Um, it's quite strange saying it, and you know there's no football match happening, but let's just say it anyway. Go on, you bees. Go on, you bees. You bees. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans